I want you to take your Bibles and turn to the book of Jonah, one of the minor prophets in the Old Testament, not minor because his message is minor. They're called major or minor prophets, depending really on the length of the book. And Jonah is only four chapters kind of tucked in around Nahum. And if you get to the table of contents, you'll get there quicker. Uh, It's at the first. It's always a hard book to find because it's only a couple of pages. But we're going to spend the next four Sunday mornings looking at the prophet Jonah and what he has to say to us under the theme of children go where I send thee. Most of us are familiar with Jonah because of a fish. But that's only a couple of verses. It's a much bigger story than that. And today we're going to look at what I think sets the tone for the whole book, and that is Jonah's resistance to God. We are a lot like Jonah. We can be resistant to God. He asks us to do something, and we bow up. He calls us to make a commitment, and we say, no, I want to think about that. You see, partial obedience is total disobedience. If you said to your child, go outside and take the garbage can to the street, and they went outside and came back in, and the garbage can wasn't at the street, they partially obeyed you, but they didn't do what you told them to do. And sometimes we want our kids to be absolutely obedient, but then when it comes to our relationship with Christ, we want to hedge our bets, we want to get graded on a curve, and we want some exceptions to his demands and to his commands. So let's uh, pick up with this. In 2 Kings uh, chapter 14 and verse 25, Jonah is affirmed as a historical person. Just to show you, you never trust Wikipedia Wikipedia says most Bible scholars believe that Jonah was a fictional character. Jesus didn't. I don't know what Bible scholar believes that Jonah was a fictional character, but they obviously haven't read the words of Jesus. Because in Luke's gospel and in Matthew's gospel, Jesus refers to Jonah as a fictional, not as a fictional person, but as a real prophet and uses him. As an example, verse 1 of chapter 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Umaiti, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So he went down to Joppa found a ship which was going to Tarshish, paid the fare, and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Let me just give you three thoughts here at the beginning about what the message of this book is. First of all, it's a message regarding the rebellious nature of man. Since the garden, man has been rebellious. We rebel against the will of God, against the word of God, and against the way of God. Secondly, it's a message about loving lost people and having compassion for people who are different than you and I. Thirdly, it's a message about racism and prejudice because Jonah hated these people. It's a message about pride and resistance and brokenness. 
Jonah could have cared less for Nineveh. As far as Jonah was concerned, just on his own, Jonah would have been glad if God had judged Nineveh and sent them all to hell. He would have thought they all deserved it, that they deserved judgment. He didn't care whether they were saved or lost, but apparently God did. Now I want to ask you a question right here in our resistance to God. Do you care whether people are saved or lost? And if he said, go talk to somebody, would you say, I don't think so. I don't want to talk to that person. That person's not worthy of the grace of God. Well, neither are we. Jimmy Draper made a great statement about Jonah. He said, God wants us to do things that would absolutely astound the world and us. Did you get that? He wants us to do things that would astound the world and us. Not at sleep in the presence of God, but would astound us. And when he can get us to quit rebelling and stop trying to do it our own way long enough to do it his way, then the course of our nation and our world can be changed. I mean, we say we want revival. We say that we are to be salt and light in our region, but are we willing to do whatever God tells us to do to make that a reality? All of us can identify with Jonah. We struggle with some of the things that God asks us to do. But it doesn't take a seminary student to understand what God is asking Jonah to do. Jonah, you're a prophet. You are loved by the king. You love your nation. I want you to leave your nation and go to another nation and talk to people that you hate about the love of God. Jonah believes in Jehovah, but he's resistant to sharing the word of God with these people. He is racially a bigot. Now, he's a prophet of God, which says... You can be right in some areas and dead wrong in other areas because he is a racial bigot. He hates the Assyrians. They don't look like him. They don't have the language that he uses. They don't live like he does. They are the enemies of Israel on the northern border, and he hates every one of them. And God says, go talk to them. Cry out to this nation. Jonah didn't grasp what we often don't grasp. That Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world, red and yellow, black and white. They are precious in his sight. But some churches sing that song and add this. As long as they look like us and sound like us and do what we do, we love those children, but we don't love those other children. How are those other children ever going to change if the church doesn't love them? How are we ever going to change our community if we don't love people that are hard to love? So the first thing is when God speaks, obey. Arise, go, cry out against it. God is calling this Jew to go to a Gentile city and to share and to preach. In your notes, you'll see Tim Keller says, it was this nation that was the object of God's missionary outreach. Jonah rose up, he rose, he, arise, go, he rose up 
to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Now, Nineveh probably had a population of about 500,000. It was an Assyrian city. In fact, ISIS destroyed what has been traditionally called the tomb of Jonah back in the mid-2000s, about 2010-2011. Tradition says that Jonah was buried in Assyria in that he may have gone to Assyria and stayed there as a lifelong missionary because his story ends so abruptly. I love this statement by G. Campbell Morgan. Men have been looking so hard at the great fish that they have failed to see the great God. We need to see the great God that calls us out of our comfort zone, that calls us to do that which we would normally resist doing. 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 11 was written about the children of Israel uh, in the wilderness, but it's a bigger story than that. Now, these things happened to them as an example, and they were written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages have come. We learn from the stories of the Old Testament. They are not fairy tales. They are not fables. They are real life stories of real life people who lived at a certain time. And God uses those stories to show us how he deals with man and how he wants us to deal with him and to deal with others. The Assyrians were some of Israel's oldest enemies. They were right on the northern border of Israel. They always posed a threat. In fact, Nahum the prophet called Nineveh a bloody city. If you read the history of Nineveh, it is nasty. It is wicked. It is vile. It was filled with idolatry and fraud, corruption, witchcraft, violence. They killed their own children. Hmm, wait a minute. That could be America. Our flesh doesn't really care. We want mercy for ourselves, but judgment on others. You, you can look around our city and our region and our nation, and you can see idolatry and fraud and corruption and witchcraft and violence. It's cynicism. It's, it's caustic. It's, it's hardened. And God has called us to a specific assignment, to go into all the world and preach the gospel. He's called us to a specific task, which he did Jonah, call them to repent. Look at the three verbs right here at the beginning. They're all imperatives. Arise, go, cry against. You see, when God speaks, we tend to turn a deaf ear. Lord, I heard you. Not going to do it. Tim Keller in his book, The Prodigal Prophet, points out that the first half of the book of Jonah is like the prodigal son, and the second half of the book of Jonah is like the older brother who stayed home and obeyed the father, but resented the fact that the father loved the prodigal that came home. God is calling us out of any mentality of exclusivity. He's calling us out of any sense of favoritism or self-righteousness. We're told to go to preach the gospel to all the world. And that's not a multiple choice issue. We cannot divide ourselves if we are gospel-oriented people. According to people that look like us, think like us, grew up like us, we are to go to the whole world. And the world is messy. It's a messy world. It's a sin-laden world. And we are to go to it. The walls that we put up are not walls that God puts up. 
In fact, I would strongly submit to you that too many in the evangelical church today worship a God in their own image, not the God of the Word. It is an Americanized God, not the God of Scripture. Let me just tell you some things God is not and some things that He is. God is not political. He's a king, and he's not up for election or re-election. He's not running for anything. He's a king, which means he rules. He's Lord. There's nobody that's trying hard to replace him because they can't replace him. He reigns forever and ever. He's not conservative, and he's not liberal. He's holy. Let me ask you something. Do you spend more time describing yourself as a conservative or a liberal than you do saying, I'm seeking to be holy and to be like Jesus? We have fallen into the trap of talking like religious moralists who are conservative or liberal, but nobody's talking about holiness. God is holy. He's not white. He's not black. He's not yellow, he's not green, he's infinite, and he is eternal. The people of Jonah's age would have considered Jonah a patriotic, highly partisan nationalist. He was a friend of the king. He loved what the king was doing. The king was rebuilding the nation's defense. Why? Because Assyria was always a threat. And so here's a guy who's in the inner circles. He gets invited to the White House all the time. And God says, leave there and go into enemy territory and call them to repent. But I like to get my picture taken standing by the president. And by the way, conservatives and liberals both like that. Both like that. And so here's a guy who is in with the king and likes the policies of the king, but God is saying, I don't care what you like, go do what I tell you to do. Go follow my will. You see, when we make God like us, we create an idol, even though we may call him God. God wanted Jonah to call them to repentance, and if they didn't repent in 40 days, he was going to judge them. Notice, in the judgment of God, there's still grace. He gave them 40 days to repent. So if they don't repent, then I'm going to send judgment. I guarantee you, Jonah went to the door like this. I've come here to preach repentance. I sure hope they don't repent, because I'm ready for God to just wipe them all out. Kind of like some people do at church visitation, you know. Oh, here's a name of somebody. Ugh, I didn't know we were coming to this neighborhood. And, and, a, hmm, a, and you get in the car, and while you're sitting in the car, the person visiting with you says, let's pray before we go in. And you pray, dear God, please don't let them be at home. <laughs> we'll leave a brochure. I think I've even got a Bible I can leave them, but please, please don't let them be at home. And I'll tell you, this is a tough call. This is no light evangelism. This is not Christianity light. God's call is his enablement, and he gives a season of grace, and he sends us to share the grace of God so that people don't have to undergo the judgment of God. Go east to Nineveh. He goes west. 
He deliberately disobeyed God. He took a boat to Joppa. He could have gone to Nineveh by land. He even paid a fare. Listen, some people will spend money to keep from doing what God says. I mean, they'll spend money to do anything. It's accurate to say that the word now appears in the Hebrew. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah. That phrase, the word of the Lord, is found 90 times in the Old Testament. Mostly in Jeremiah and Ezekiel. But it's a consistent thought in the Old Testament. The word of the Lord came, and let me just list some of them. To Abram, to Nathan, to David, to Solomon, to Jehu, to Elijah, to Isaiah, to Haggai, to Zechariah, to Michael. And to you. God does not stutter and God is not silent in his call for us to reach the world. The word of the Lord, the Jehovah, the name so sacred that the Jews wouldn't even mention it, the eternally self-existent one, the one who was and is and is to come. Let me tell you how big a deal God is in this book. His name is mentioned 26 times in four chapters. This is not so much a book about Jonah, this is a book about God's call on Jonah. You see, our hearts are right when we want what God wants. My heart is right when I want what God's, God wants. We pray the Lord's Prayer. I know people that pray the Lord's Prayer every day. The Lord's Prayer says, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How does that get done? We're part of the answer to that. Secondly, God will lead those who are willing to follow. God will lead those who are willing to follow. He doesn't just throw us out there. I love what someone said. Someone said, God's word is not an itinerary, it's an attitude. It's an attitude. God's will is not, well, go here, go here. It's an attitude. Lord, I'll go wherever you tell me to go. You see, we aren't just called to understand the will of God. We're called to undertake the will of God. And finally, when God calls, he often calls us to hard places. I, I have friends who pastor in some really good places. I mean, they've got every restaurant I would like to eat in, just right down from their church. They got housing developments going up all around them. I mean, you know, hundreds of houses. And, you know, there's, I, I've got a friend who pastors in the area, 500 families are moving in every month within a few mile radius of his church. I mean, all they got to do is open the doors and people go, hey, there's a church, let's, you know, let's go visit. Oh, you're right down the street. Oh, well, we just moved here. We'll go check it out. And I mean, they, they just open the doors. People are always moving there. That is not Southwest Georgia. Half the people that live here are trying to figure out how to get out. But ladies and gentlemen, on the authority of the word of God, this is where God planted you. So buckle up and lighten up and do what God said. God didn't put you here just to take up space and to buy a funeral plot. God puts you here to do something for his kingdom to make a difference for his glory. God put us in a tough place 
And some of us would like to run. I mean, if somebody said, hey, there's another job over here, and, and they, their, their mall's not dying, and, and they don't have empty downtown. I mean, it's great. How much does it pay? Never mind, I don't care what it pays. I'll go there. And we'll run from God, or we'll just stay here and resist God and what he tells us to do. God has called us to Albany and to Leesburg and to Smithville and to Colquitt. We have people who come from Tifton. God has called us to southwest Georgia and to the world. And the only way we can impact the world is when out of a healthy base in our Jerusalem, our Albany or Leesburg or wherever it is, we're impacting the world where we are. Amen. We have to start here. He fled from the presence of the Lord. Anybody here running from the presence of the Lord today? I mean, God's called you. God's told you to do something. God's spoken to your heart out of his word. And has he called you to do something? You said, I don't think I'm going to do that. I don't think I want to do that. You running from a call to ministry? Are you running from asking someone to forgive you? Are you running from changing the way you were raised? That's just the way I was raised. Well, if you've been born again, you can get over that. I was raised in some ways too, but I got saved and I got over it. I wonder, how much will God show us when we stand before him one day that we didn't do, that we could have done if we hadn't made excuses? Well, that's just the way I'm raised. Oh, I'm just an introvert. That's not my personality. I don't really want to do that. I don't want to change. I don't like those kind of people. I, I don't like going in those kind of places. I, I don't think that's my job. I think that's somebody else's job. And God keeps pestering you and pestering you and pestering you, and you're not doing it, and God is drying up in your heart. David Jeremiah, by the way, Jonah was not confused about the call of God on his life. David Jeremiah said, through the whole book, he went down to Joppa, then he went down into the ship, then he went down into the sea. Then he went down into the belly of the great fish. And then the great fish went down to the very depths of the ocean. When you and I are not following God, we're going down. We're never going up. We're always going down. He fled from the presence of the Lord. Some of us feel far away from God. Some of us wonder why God is not answering our prayers. Some of us Wonder, why, why don't we sense the Lord like we used to sense him? I, I'll tell you why. It's real simple. It's real simple. Now, I'm not a prophet or a son of a prophet, but I'll just tell you this is the way it works. I'll tell you why you feel far away from the Lord. i tell you why you don't hear God's voice anymore. i tell you why you don't have God's peace anymore. It's because you haven't obeyed the last thing he told you to do. God's not going to show you anything else until you do the last thing he showed you. You see, God said, hey, what, you know, I told you something a week ago, six months ago, six years ago, ten years ago. I told you to do something, and you haven't done it. Lord, I just don't feel close to you like I used to. What are you not obeying? Where are you running to? What are you resisting? 
You see, running in resistance always puts distance between you and the Heavenly Father. God's not going to chase you down. He'll just send a fish. Some of you like fish. You like to eat fish. Can I just present an idea to you? You wouldn't want to be inside one. See, God loves the cities, and he wants to impact the darkness, and he wants us to confront evil. Remember when God came to Abraham, and he told him what he was about to do to Sodom and Gomorrah? Listen, folks, if you've read the book, you know what's coming. Judgment is coming. Jesus is coming back, and he's going to judge this world. Judgment is coming. You've read the book. But God has given us the privilege of hearing and knowing that it is not his will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God wants us to pray for our city, to intercede for people that are living in debauchery and just godless living. And we gripe about them, but we don't pray for them. We complain about them, but we don't pray for them. We don't like the way they dress or the way they look or the way they handle themselves, but we never talk to them. You know what they are? They're an empty soul looking for something to fill their lives, and we have the answer. Jesus Christ. Where's your Nineveh? Across the street, it is a neighbor whose dog doesn't quit barking all night long. Is it somebody that used to be in your family and they're lost, but they're not in your family anymore? There's been a divorce, there's been a falling out, and I, just in your heart of hearts, when you get real honest, you just assume they die and go to hell. Where's your Nineveh? Is it somebody you work with? Is it somebody you go to school with? Is it somebody that lives under the roof of your house that doesn't want to hear what you have to say? Who is it? Where is it? And you and I have a choice when we walk out of here this morning. We can run from God and go down or we can walk in obedience to where God tells us to go and we just might see people saved we just might see life change our Nineveh you know what our Nineveh is it's where you live it's where I live it's not an easy place to live I know that, you know that, nobody needs to tell you that, but I'm telling you anyway, because I'm not ignorant of what goes on around here. But let me ask you something. How much darker would this city be if Sherwood just worried about itself? And we said, we don't need the Hope Center. We don't need to teach a bunch of kids how to do car repair. Oh, yeah, we do, because 
One of them came to Christ last Saturday, learning how to put on windshield wipers and do car repair. Yeah, we do. Oh, we don't need to be a school. So that's what you'd say to those hundred kids? They got saved, by the way, most of them led to Christ by their peers. We don't need to be involved in church planning. We need to spend all that money on ourselves. Well, Ebenezer, we're going to pray that you have some dreams at night. <laughs> Somebody will get saved in one of those church plants today. You know why? Because we helped a pastor stay there so he could feed his family, so he could go out and knock on a door and invite somebody to come to a new church plant. Folks, listen. I know it's not easy to be here. But the greatest place you can be is in the center of God's will. And when you're in the center of God's will, God can make a garbage dump smell like a rose garden when you're in the center of God's will. But if you're out of God's will, you can live next to the nicest places in the world and it will stink because it's not the will of God. Let's pray together. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. <clears throat> I just wanna ask you in these moments some quiet moments of reflection. I mean, I realize I've poked the bear a little bit today, but I, I did it to myself first. There are things that are easier to do than obey the will of God, but there's nothing better to do than to obey the will of God of God. So who's your one? Who's the person that you need to go to? Who's the person that you need to forgive? Who's the person that you need to share the gospel with? Who's the person that you need to make right the relationship? Who's, who's your one? Where's your Nineveh? Some of you, God may be calling you to go on a mission trip this year. Say, well, if I go on a mission trip, I can't go to Disney World. Well, I wouldn't go to Disney World if God told me to go somewhere else. Maybe you can do both. I don't know, but don't make excuses. Do what God says. Where's God telling you to go? Who's God talking to you about? In a few weeks, Will Graham will have a crusade in Tifton. And Will's a friend and a great brother, and they'll have a weekend celebration in Tifton on that Sunday morning uh, toward the end of March. Uh, Scott Dawson will be here. We've got all kinds of opportunities between now and then to share the good news of Jesus Christ. My prayer is that we're going to take a lot of time on Easter Sunday baptizing people who have come to faith in Christ. But it won't happen if we're running in the wrong direction. It won't happen if we're resistant to the will of God. Well, what if they don't respond? Not your problem. 
God just said go. He didn't tell Jonah how many would respond, although it was an incredible response. He didn't tell him how many would respond. He just said go. Just go. And cry out and call them to repent and tell them they've got a chance to get right with God. It is God's love for the nations. Not just our nation. For the nations that he calls us to. Let's not resist that call. Father, I ask you in the name of Jesus to soften our hearts, to put our minds in line with you, to listen to you, to learn from you, to obey you, and to walk in your will. May this week be a week of breaking up fallow ground, of plowing new ground, and of sharing our faith with a lost and dying world. We pray it in Jesus' name.